look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast, Training Camp Edition. I'm on the sidelines of Buffalo Bills Training Camp in Pittsburgh, New York. As we speak, it's Tuesday morning. The Bills are practicing on a side field, and I'm watching Josh Allen, the rookie from Wyoming, try to win this quarterback job. So my guest this week, Pittsburgh cornerback Joe Hayden, the former Cleveland Brown, Fletcher Cox, the Pro Bowl defensive tackle of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles, and Kevin Clark of The Ringer, one of the pro football writers who I respect most in the United States. You know, I thought I would start by giving you one quick thought from my first stops in the first week of covering NFL training camp, start in Chicago. Really, really interested in the chemistry experiment they're doing there. Former Oregon coach Mark Helfrich. Uh, is on the staff with, obviously, with Matt Nagy, the new head coach. They're going to do an awful lot of RPOs, the run-pass options. Let's go to Baltimore. Joe Flacco clearly playing for his career and playing for his starting job. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. I think deep down he's ticked off about it. He's not going to say that. But he's going to have to beat back the challenge of Lamar Jackson. He's doing a great job in training camp so far. Uh, Let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, I walked away from Philadelphia, especially after seeing a very, very sharp Carson Wentz. Very much looking like he's uh, uh, was never hurt. Uh, Coming back from knee surgery eight months ago, really looking good. Um, But... I also walked away thinking, is it really that big a deal who starts? Now that you've had this uh, this tremendous uh, performance by Nick Foles in the postseason, if he has to play the first two, four, six games, whatever, and I think that Wentz is probably going to start the year. But if Foles has to play, hey, it's not exactly like you're, uh, you're going down in quality a little bit. Let's go to Pittsburgh. I wrote about this in my column, but the work ethic of Antonio Brown is – Totally, totally ridiculous. Second to none. Post-practice, 75 uh, passes that he caught from the jugs machine uh, at a very high rate, very high velocity. Some of them with Juju Smith-Schuster hanging on him. Uh, You know, it's so funny. You know, I went to Cleveland the next day after going to Pittsburgh and talked to Todd Haley, and he goes... Do you think that Antonio Brown went from the sixth round, being a sixth-round pick, to to greatness just by showing up to practice and doing what everybody else does? No. Uh, and and Antonio Brown, so far, the hardest-working man in showbiz from what I saw. Cleveland, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Uh, the coach of the Browns, Hugh Jackson, told me that he is not – going to change his mind he's starting Tyrod Taylor to start the season 
Uh, and he's going to resist the hue and cry, no pun intended, uh, to play Baker Mayfield very early. Um, and now here in Buffalo, you know what's, what's kind of interesting looking out at this team practicing right now? Star Lotulele, you know, standing in the middle of that line, what they have added, you know, in terms of bulk and in terms of interior pass rush, he's going to make this team, I think, significantly better on the defensive front. I think, you know, at quarterback, I think they're, they are going to play the best man. Brandon Bean, the general manager, told me flat out, hey, look, we got three guys, including Nathan Peterman, A.J. McCarron, Josh Allen, and we're going to take training camp. And he said, and I quote, he said, this is not about winning in 2019. It's about winning opening day 2018. So a lot of different approaches as I go from camp to camp. It's been fun so far. Uh, and I want to get to my conversation. You'll love Joe Hayden on uh, – <laughs> on LeBron James, which is really fun. And you'll like listening to all these guys. Have a great week, everybody. And now my conversation with Joe Hayden. Back on the Peter King Podcast, I'm fortunate to be joined by Pittsburgh Steelers cornerback uh, Joe Hayden. Uh, Joe, we're standing here in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, one of the most beautiful training campsites ever. And the history that drips off of here, the great players who've been here. I just wonder when you come here and you hear about the tradition when you first got here, you hear about the Steelers, what's it like for you and what does it mean to you to be a part of this organization? It's, it's truly a blessing to be here um, just with so many great players and uh, just being able to be here with just guys that understand the game, with a great coaching staff. Um, and it's just there. The only we come here to win championships, world championships. That's all they talk about. And um, it being that you have one of the best quarterbacks in the game, you have the best running backs in the game, you have the best wide receiver in the game. You just have so much talent all over the offensive line, defensive line. Just so many players that are been in this been in this league for a long time and know what they're doing, know what it takes to win. And the competition at practice, you know, like going up against those guys is just it's so special because that's getting us better, that's getting them better, and uh, and just. just I've never been on a team with, with this much talent and literally singly focused up. Only thing we talk about is championship. It's only football stuff we talk about here. It's what nothing. did you notice when you first walked in the door that was different from Cleveland? What What did you see? What did you feel when you walked into the building the first time? I think one thing is just, it's a, how can I even say it? It's just like a, it's, it's mentality. You know, as soon as I walked in here, everybody's just legitimately focused and ready to go. Um, everybody understands what we're here for. It's nothing about, nothing, no other gray. It's all about football. It's all about getting better and, and competition. So I go to all 32 teams and I see the different expectations in every place I go. Uh, early on in this trip, I've been to Cleveland, been to see the Jets, mm. been to a few other teams. But what I find interesting and what I wonder about, when you're a player and you've now seen it from both sides, you've seen it from the Browns and you've seen it from the Steelers, when you would walk into Cleveland to start a training camp, was it ever difficult knowing that you know everything would have to go right for us to win 11 or 12 games? Whereas you come into Pittsburgh and, and you say, man, we're supposed to win 11 or 12 games. How different is it for a player? Um, that, that's so crazy that you say that, that a 
the feeling of when I was in Cleveland, we knew we had talent. We knew, it wasn't that other teams were so much better. We were losing by three points or by the end of the game. But it's just that knowing that everything has to go right. We have to get all our third down stops. We can't give up any points on offense, no turnovers, making sure that just everything has to be right on point for us to be able to get the win. Here, it's like we might mess up a little bit. We have so much talent and so many players, and it's just like we're not going to lose. We're going to find out the way to win. And in Cleveland, it was just like, all right, y'all, come on. Like, if we're up, like, don't lose it. Don't lose it. Instead of here, it's like no matter what, everybody's relaxed. Like, we're going to come out on top. It's just a just a different kind of mentality here. They're just so confident and believe in everything that they do that they just know our offense is going to get out there and score defense if we need to stop get a stop so it's just a it's just a little bit of a it's, a it's a little different feeling knowing that you got at the same time Ben he's been a quarterback here 15 years straight you know it's just yeah. a lot of him and Coach Tomlin and the just everybody they have a camaraderie everybody gets along they understand each other so it's just kind of it's a it's a little bit of a different feeling there you know I was in Cleveland for the draft this year and they take Baker Mayfield and I went to the party they had a huge party down in the parking lot outside the stadium, okay? Mm -hmm. And these people were so fired up. You know, Baker Mayfield, they're so excited. And I asked a bunch of people, I said, don't you ever, doesn't it ever get tough mm -hmm. rooting for the Browns? I mean, you, you get excited. Like, it's like your Super Bowl every mm -hmm. year is April. Yeah. It's the draft. And then you start playing games, and then it's middle of October. You're looking forward to the draft again. Mm -hmm. So what was your experience with the fans there? And what was it like? Were they, they seem to be like never say die fans yeah. and that they're always going to support those guys. What was it like for you being around those people? The fans are the best. I mean, they're, they're amazing. The way that they can have so much passion and, and love their team so much, and we haven't been putting up, they weren't putting up too many wins for them. Yeah. So it was tough for me just to go in there every year and just really feel like we could win really feeling like the team we were building and always when we had new coaches coming in they're bringing in new waves and new energy so i'm like all right matt let's go let's go get it i'm not just going to be here like oh whatever you know so i'm trying to keep everybody as motivated trying to keep myself as hype and like we said the fans and everything i can see how it could just start going so bad so quick because we start losing a couple games we're on five you know we got to win we got to win 10 games to make it to the playoffs so it's kind of getting eliminated after week 10. i mean it's yeah. tough when you're playing six games at the end of the season knowing you know what I'm saying there's no way you can make it to the playoffs so that that was a tough spot but the fans definitely show so much support that I when I was there I wanted I tried to stay because I felt like once it turned around if you could win in Cleveland it'd be the best feeling yeah, you're ever. gonna be the king oh my god we'll have statues all over the place <laughs> so that was what we felt so we knew the fans definitely show support you know what I remember Joe you and I spoke after the Cavs won the championship and you were talking about what the city was like oh, yeah. and, and how excited everybody was. And you were just sort of dreaming. Can you imagine what it would be like if the Browns won? Take me back to that night where the Cavs won. What was it like in that city? It was amazing, man. We had people stealing fire trucks downtown, <laughs> people hanging on light poles. Like it was like a, it was like University of Florida. We won the national championship times ten. Just <laughs> yeah. everybody having so much fun. People so happy running up and down the streets. I mean, it was it was electric. But yeah. I think it would have been more if the Browns definitely would have won the Super Bowl compared to the Cavs. Football won. town. It Football is. Town. Literally. Um, what's your favorite LeBron story? 
my favorite LeBron story. You went to a lot of games. Oh, yeah, I go to I the mean, game. I'm talking about my eye contact with Brian, him coming over here, giving me high fives, chest bumps. <laughs> oh, my highlight was when I went to the Pacers game when they were playing. It was last year. They playing against the Pacers. In, in the playoffs? In the playoffs. Yeah. They were down, in Cleveland? No, in, in, in Indiana. In Indiana. They were down by like 20, and they ended up coming back. 24 or something like that. Ended up coming back. They hit the three. As soon as they hit the three, they called the timeout. LeBron ran over to the side. I was on the court, and we jumped up and chest bumped <laughs> on the middle of the court in Indiana. I was like, that was the highlight of my life. <laughs> Why do you love LeBron? I love, I've just been a super duper fan of him ever since he was in high school. Like, wow. I grew up, like, when I was probably, I, I got a picture when I was 12 years old. You grew up old. in Maryland, right? I grew up in Maryland. Yeah. Yeah, LeBron. I'm Were a, you a basketball guy? I was a, I was definitely, I wanted yeah. to, I thought I was going to go to the NBA. Yeah. Literally, I wanted to go to the NBA. Everybody so, in the NFL wants to play in the NBA. I know, man. But like, they have to expand <laughs> the NBA to fit all the players to. who wants to I'm play. A, I'll, go, I'll go G League. I might go G League. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, yeah, I definitely loved, it. loved the NBA. And then LeBron, he was just a phenom coming out of high school school so I just watched him and people he was being able to get his games on ESPN when he was in high school so I was like just to just for everybody to have so much expectation of him him being the chosen one and him coming in and doing so great I just I just you know what him. I really admire about that guy imagine how much pressure he has on him oh. his entire life okay and look I don't I don't know basketball well enough to say okay Jordan's better LeBron's better. I, I mean it's kind of a futile exercise mm -hmm. it's kind of stupid yeah but I watched LeBron James with that Cavs team this year. And that Cavs team without him is 30 and 50 or something like yes. that. They're just a team, mm -hmm. you know? They're the Charlotte Hornets. Thousand okay? percent. But I, I just tell you how much pressure on that guy, and he delivered, and he's been to the championship series eight years in a row. How do you do that? It's, I just, I find the guy absolutely amazing. Me too. I mean, for you to be able to take care of your body, stay healthy, stay out of the headlines, everybody's looking for you to do anything, yeah. you know what I'm saying, to be on your back. So him to just be able to stay so clean and show the love for his sons and do what he does for the community, open up so many scholarships and everything like that for Akron. I think he's just a, just a role model that people can really look up to and see like, man, listen, if he's staying out of trouble, if he's doing everything the right way, when people are just can't wait for LeBron to do something bad and they're trying to find reasons of, oh, he can't win the championship. I'm like, oh, he went to the championship eight years in a row. <laughs> Nobody else in the East has been for eight yeah. years. It's been wherever team it's he was like, on. it's like there's only two teams in the NBA that guys want to play for. Either Golden State or the Lakers. You know, they ought to just move the NBA to California. I mean, anyway. But what what did you think when he left? Were you disappointed? Or are you happy for him? How do you feel? I, I'm, honestly, I'm happy for him. I was so happy he came back and won a, and brought a championship to Cleveland. And that's yeah. what he said he was going to do. So once he did that, I mean, he doesn't owe anybody anything. He's right. helped out the economy. He's done everything. And now he's he's towards the latter end of his career. He has plenty of houses out there. I think he wants his son to probably go to school out there. Just trying to get more established into what he wants to do once he's done with uh with, with basketball. Yeah. Got movies and all that stuff going on. So, I mean, he's 15 years in now. I'm like, well, I'm gonna miss, he, everybody's going to miss him when he's gone. Everybody will. And just think how great he is after playing for that length of time. You're right. I marvel at how, first of all, you got to play like every other night, mm -hmm. and you got to be totally at the top of your game with everybody aiming for you. That, I just think the guy's remarkable. Yeah. He, 82 games this year. I mean, it's 15 ridiculous. season. Okay, so um, I, I want to ask you, you have a shoe store in Cleveland, yes. don't you? Yes. Tell me how you got into shoes, why you have a shoe store in Cleveland, mm. and what's it like, and do you go back there a lot? Oh, yeah. Um, I have, I've always been collecting shoes since I was... 
fifth grade. Well, with my mom and dad, I didn't have as much have much <laughs> money. So anytime I had good grades or anything, I definitely tried to get the newest Jordans. So it was just always something I always loved. And uh, when I got to the NFL, it was just I got sponsored. I was with Nike, and uh, it was just still something that I was always a fan of, just collecting them, trying to figure out when the newest Jordans were coming out. And um, it, one of my friends actually in Cleveland, he had a shoe store. It was just one of my homeboys out there. He opened it up, and I'm like, yo, I have a really big passion for it. I have the <laughs> connects. Like, if you can open up a store, I know I can open up a store. <laughs> so ended up doing it, man, and it's been going for three years now. Um, What's the name? Uh, the Restock. The Restock, the Restock. The Restock CLE. Wow. Yes, yes. So it's been three years now, downtown Cleveland. Um, I love it. I go back all the time just to just to go check on my guys, make sure make sure the store is doing good. Yeah. Two questions about the Steelers. One, tell me now that you know the division as well as anybody, mm -hmm. you see Baltimore making some changes. They're bringing in Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. uh, you see the Bengals. They're competitive. You see the Browns maybe trying to turn it around. So how do you view this division this year, and how do you view the Steelers' place in it? Uh, I feel like uh, the division is always very competitive. It's, it's a hard-nosed division. Defense first, you know, everybody's going to be running around hitting each other. But uh, I feel the same way, man. I feel like we have the, the team to be stacked. I feel like we can still come out on top like the way we did last year. Um, we just got to be locked in and just this is this. It starts here. It starts in training camp. I'm happy. This is my first training camp being here. I got here after the last preseason game, first week of the season last year. So now I'm able to really get my feet wet, really get, uh, get in touch with my teammates, just try to be a a vocal or more of a vocal leader and a lead by example so um, I'm just happy to be here and I think that talent wise there's we will we will we, beat ourselves that's the only I don't really think there's not too many other teams as talented as we are um last question for you people ask you what it's like to play for Mike Tomlin what do you tell them I tell him it is it is amazing. He's 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 my favorite coach I've ever had. Not just I when you say that I'm not taking that for granted at all. The great coaches that I've had like Coach Meyer is a, is amazing. But with with Tom, it's just a it's a, it's a different it's a different relationship. Um, he knows how to he's a he's a great leader of men. He knows how to control us. He knows how to get the best out of us. He knows how to just get on you and uh, I think the thing I like about him he's just so honest he's going to let you know exactly what you stand exactly what he needs from you so there's no gray area it's just if if you're not doing playing up the park he's going to let you know if you are he will so it's always a lot of hard love and he's going to he's going to give you love when you're doing good and he's going to let you know when you're not doing as good so it's just it's just a very good balance that he gives you Joe Hayden good luck in 2018 with the Steelers got you thank you so much Support for the Peter King Podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. Let's talk about buying a home. It can be one of the most important purchases you'll ever make. But today's fluctuating interest rates can leave you with unexpected higher payments, which can turn a great experience into an anxious one. That's why Quicken Loans created their exclusive power buying process. Here's how it works. They check your income, assets, and credit to give you a verified approval. This gives you the strength of a cash buyer, making your offer more attractive to sellers. Once verified, you qualify for their exclusive rate shield approval. They'll lock your interest rate for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. Then, once you've found the one, if rates have gone up, your rate stays the same. But if rates have gone down, you get to keep the new lower rate. Either way, 
you win. It's that kind of thinking you'd expect from America's largest mortgage lender. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com king. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year purchase transactions. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Based on Quicken Loans data in comparison to public data records. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Now my conversation with Kevin Clark. Back on the Peter King Podcast here from Pittsburgh, New York at Bill's Training Camp. Uh, I'm here actually standing about 30 yards away from Josh Allen, the first round pick of the Buffalo Bills, uh, as we watch a training camp practice. And I'm fortunate to be joined by Kevin Clark of The Ringer. Um, and I've always... Uh, sort of had a crush on Kevin Clark. He doesn't know this, but I've had a journalism crush on Kevin Clark over the years. And uh, I'm really fortunate. I saw him yesterday in Cleveland. We're taping this on Tuesday. And uh, I saw him yesterday in Cleveland, and I just thought, hey, it'd be great to get him on the podcast this week. So, Kevin, wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's very nice to be able to watch Josh Allen and record with you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, we got We have to multitask. So um, I thought one of the things we might do is talk about some of the places we've been so yeah. far in training camp and then talk about a little bit of the life on the road in yeah. training camp, which yeah. you and I both do. We kind of do it the same way. We like to drive. We like to eschew airports at this time of year. Absolutely. Um, but anyway, let's. I'll I'll start off by I'll just give you one thought from each place I've been, and then you can chime in if you've been to any place. Have you been to Baltimore? I've not been to Baltimore. Okay, yet. I'll give you one very quick thing, Joe Flacco. Really, really motivated, I think, you know, to kind of shove it up their rear end, yep, you know, for, for drafting Lamar Jackson. He looked great the day I saw him. Um, I talked to a former Ravens guy the other day, and he put it this way. He said, Joe gets it. He just gets it, and, and everything that comes along with it, he knows Lamar Jackson's going to push him. Look, he, he's taking first-team reps. You know, he's, ta- he's involved. There yeah. is no more clear sign that Lamar Jackson could play than what they're doing in practice right now. And so Joe Flacco is as motivated as he's ever going to be. Yeah, agreed. I went to the New York Jets. Um, I don't know. Are they going to be good in 2023? I, I don't really know. But, man, I feel bad for guys. The, the one thing I did say and the one thing I came away from there thinking is how much when you look at the Jets, how much Mike McCagnan is trying to build this team with players from winning monolithic programs, Jamal Adams, Darren Lee, all of these guys. And, look, it all depends on the quarterback. There's no place in the NFL that if you have an average to below average quarterback that you're going to go very far. It's the same thing with Sam Darnold. I totally agree with you. The thing I'm interested in is obviously Teddy Bridgewater's progression. I think he's as as, as intriguing a guy as there is the quarterback position because he has such a high ceiling once he gets healthy that I'm really fascinated to see how that develops in the next month. You know, the other interesting thing that, speaking of the Jets and, and Darnold and the way that, you know, right in front of us the defensive line is working in individual yeah. drills, um, one of the things I find really interesting about this year 
you know, so I was in Cleveland, you know, now in Buffalo, uh, and, and you find that every team that picked a quarterback high in this particular draft was totally convinced that they picked the right guy and yep. everybody else was wrong. Yep. You know, like you hear whispers from the Jets, oh, my God, Baker Mayfield, are yeah. you kidding me? And then you hear from the Browns, hey, uh, yeah. look, look, we don't we don't care. We, we You know, we all decided Mayfield's better here, yep. madly in love with Josh Allen. And yet more than half, I mean, probably three of the five who were picked in the first round, are going to turn out to be abject failures, you know, because that's Maybe what the more. history is. You know? I mean, I think there is an element of all of these GMs know, for the most part, that if that quarterback fails, their job is going to go along with it. They're, they're going to be out of town at the same time. I think you sort of have to convince yourself you're 100% correct because the other option is just complete and abject franchise failure. I think there's a part – you have to talk yourself into these guys. I mean, I was talking to John Dorsey yesterday. He was talking about Baker Mayfield's quick release and how, how exciting it's going to be when he gets on the field. And, and you know, like you said, the, he is – his eyes light up. And you see that here with Josh Allen. You see that, you know, in, in New York with, with Sam Darnold. And I just think that when you talk to GMs about their guy, yeah, they, they are – they have drank the Kool-Aid as much as you can because the, the other option is knowing that your job's on the line. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, let's talk for a second about the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. I found the Eagles to be a very interesting camp to be at because, like, just my opinion, Kevin – I mean, and I know we're all going to obsess about when does Carson Wentz play. Yeah. I saw him the other day. He was moving around like if you didn't know that, yeah. you know, eight months ago he had massive surgery on his knee, you'd have, you wouldn't be able to tell by watching him now. He looks great. But, I, and, and look, I'm as guilty as anybody. I led my column. I wrote 1,300 <laughs> words on it on Monday. But my question is, is it really that big a deal if Nick Foles plays the first two to four weeks this year? Well, I mean, it speaks to the roster that Howie Roseman built, that they have such depth that they can survive all of September and even in October if Wentz can't do it. I think that, you know, at the, do you start to want to see Foles because maybe you can trade him with the trade deadline if there's a quarterback needy team? Um, I, I I get so scared. I got so scared watching Wentz in 11-on-11s in 11 the other day just because I've seen so many guys rush back from ACLs, so many guys. Yeah. I just don't know why you have a quarterback that literally won the Super Bowl. I don't know why you're on the – I was there on the first day of camp, and he's, he's basically almost full go. I don't right. know why you don't slow that down and say, guys, we won the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. He's back. He's under contract. We can roll with Nick Foles. So I don't think it's a big deal at all, and in fact – I know that Wentz is competitive and he wants to get out there. I'm sure, even though he won't admit it, they asked him this question. I'm sure not being out there for the Super Bowl eats at him. I'm sure every it does time, eat at him, every no time question. it looks at the he looks at the ring, he knows he wasn't on that field, and so I think that that motivates him. But I think they have to talk to him and say, just let's. Why don't we win Kevin, the Super gotta, Bowl this year? I got to tell you something. I saw one of the coolest videos when I was in Philadelphia, and it was a video of the injured. Eagles yep. at the Super Bowl in the University of Minnesota weight room, all five of those guys, you know, Hicks, um, uh, Wentz, mm -hmm. uh, Peters, Maragos, and Darren Sproles, all of them working out together in that weight room. And honestly, you could see this thing that, yeah, they're on the Eagles, they got their Super Bowl ring and all that stuff, but they didn't really feel like they I were a part of it. And Carson Wentz in this little video had a hooded shirt on 
And now think about this. This was six weeks after he had his surgery. And and I and he, he just had this determined yeah. look. And so look, <clears throat> no matter what they say, you understand it's absolutely human nature that if you didn't play in that game, you're not going to really feel a part of Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But I think they need to talk to him and say, we know you want to be competitive and get out there week yeah. one, but just slow down a little bit. That, that's what I would do. They obviously trust their doctors and all that stuff, but I just I just got nervous, and I was holding my breath every time he threw a yeah. pass on the first day of camp. Uh, with Kevin Clark of the Ringer. Kevin, um, what else have you seen on your trail so far that you found interesting? Well, you know, Philadelphia is really interesting to me because I think that some of those guys are on a – everybody's focused on this season, but some of those guys want to talk about last year and some of them don't. I had an amazing moment where I went up to Fletcher Cox and I said, tell me about rushing four guys getting to Tom Brady and strip sacking right next to Brandon Graham. And he said, that's last year. I'm not going to talk about last year. So then I go two lockers down. I talk to Graham who actually did the strip sack. And he goes uh, – he essentially, in a, in a, after one question, st- stands me up and demonstrates the move he put on Shaq Mason. And so he wants to talk about last year. And so I think that because it was so emotional in Philadelphia, I think a lot of those guys are still – um, you know, basking in the glow of last year. And it's been interesting to watch this sort of transition from, you know, the, the seven months of, of unbridled joy into training camp mode for them. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is business as usual. Um, you know, I, I, Antonio Brown celebrating in practice. I mean, it's not something you see a lot. He was catching yeah. he was catching passes down the sideline, beating Artie Burns, and then he would just go into the crowd, essentially, and get them fired up. He is uh, – um, you know, he, he, he was coming over to his friend, actually. He's, he's gotten so confident in the field. I've never seen a guy practice like him. His friend was standing next to me. And after he would catch a pass, he would just yell to his friend exactly what happened, why he caught the pass, what the cornerback did with his, with his uh, hands, you know, what the ball from Landry Jones looked like. Uh, compare, he was comparing Landry Jones' ball to Ben Roethlisberger's ball. This was all in the field in training camp. And so he is as interesting a guy as we have in the NFL right now. And I, I, I was excited to see him practice. You know, I, um, I mean, my most memorable moment in the first week out on the road involves Antonio Brown because uh, you know that he's an absolute nut job workaholic. Yep. You know, there were – uh, there were 87 Steelers. This is 45 minutes after practice on Sunday. There were 87 Steelers who were in the showers. Yep. Okay, there's three of them out there. Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown are working with the jugs machine. And Antonio Brown has Juju Smith-Schuster draped all over him so that we can simulate coverage. And the, the other guy, the, the, the other guy who was there was Trey Griffey. Ken Griffey's son. And so everybody says, whoa, what's Trey Griffey doing? Trey Griffey was a moderately successful college receiver at Arizona. Yeah. And Mike Tomlin and uh, Kevin Colbert saw pedigree slash size slash athletic ability, invited him to camp, and there he was. But Trey Griffey was watching what Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster were doing and basically said that here's a guy who got a 99 in Madden. Yep. Everybody else around here is in the shower and he's out here working. 
that was like my memorable scene. I don't know that I'm going to see a better scene in training camp when Ken Griffey's son is learning from the greatest receiver there is. I saw a quote the other day from Tomlin where he basically said that Antonio Brown's obviously good to have around for a million reasons, but one of them is it shows that everybody else in the team that there's no secret. It's just hard work. And yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I don't think know. that was in my story. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, but, you know, you, you, you talk about the, you know, every time I've had to talk to Antonio Brown in the past three years, he's been at the jugs machine yeah. doing something crazy. Either he's simulating, you know, turning around quickly. I mean, stuff that you don't think about at the jugs machine. He wouldn't, he told his friend this. I thought this was fascinating. He came over to his friend and said, I was going to catch some punts, but they're coming from the jugs machine and I won't catch a punt from the jugs machine. I only catch punts from a, from a foot. Why is that, do you I, think? I, I don't know. I, I wish yeah. I could have asked him. Maybe he just wants to know what the spin from a foot yeah. looks yeah. like. But you talk about someone who's just so exact. They won't catch punts from a jugs machine. That's yeah. unbelievable That to is me. pretty incredible. With Kevin Clark of the Ringers. So, Kevin, let's finish up. And you do the training camp tour sort of a lot like I do, which is that you like driving. Love it. Um, and I... One of the reasons I kind of like driving, too, is that you end up wasting a lot of time. For years, I did training camp tours in, air, in an airplane. And you end up wasting a lot of time, and once a summer, a plane gets canceled, yep. and so you yep. miss a camp. And maybe miss three camps because it's all timed that way. Yeah, yeah. And, so, and so I always sort of, you know, I kind of like the drive. But why do you drive? Why do you like it? So we're in Pittsburgh, New York right now. I have to get to Allen Park, Michigan tomorrow. I was in Berea, Ohio yesterday. You, these are not, even if you flew from city to city, you still have to drive. The Bears are not in Chicago, they're in Bourbonnet. Yeah. The, um, you know, the, the, the Chiefs are not in Kansas City, they're in St. Joseph, Missouri, which is an hour north. And so even if you're flying, you're not gonna get there, okay? You're, it, 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 you're still gonna drive two hours, you might as well drive. Now, the actual driving part of it, I love it. I, it is such a great, Escape. What do you it's, listen to in the car? Well, so I listen to a lot of serious NFL radio to make sure that I'm not missing anything. Okay. Yeah. But then you will, the amount of books I've consumed on books on tape in yeah. a four hour drive, five hour drive every day, unbelievable. I mean, and that get, it helps my writing because you're just thinking about the writing process more. Yeah. And I just listen to a book by David Halberstam and you're just, the whole time you're going, you're coming to Bill's camp, you're listening to David Halberstam. That has, that's going to rub off on you. Yeah. And so, and you just see more of America. And, and I, 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 I really like driving through these towns that I would never have seen in the middle of Missouri and, and understanding what that's like. I just feel like for three weeks a year, I get to see, I mean, I probably do 4,000 miles in a car. I get to see all of America, and I think it's really cool. What about when you go out west? You have to fly there, don't I you? I do have to fly, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, but you just twin them. I don't do Seattle that often for that very reason. Yeah. So you can do You can Cowboys. do a lot in California now. I live in California. So you do Cowboys, Rams, Chargers very easily. And then yeah. you can go up and do Raiders and 49ers as well. I don't, I typically don't make it to Denver and don't make it to Seattle. I try to do them at different parts of the year. Um, I just, you know, it's just so easy. And the other thing is, you, you end up, because you have no place to be, because you don't have the timing set up where you have to catch a flight, you end up hanging around and just 
getting more seen, you have right. more flexibility. If someone says, hey, why don't we get a coffee at 5 p.m., you can do it and you meet you know, more people and you, you talk more football. If you're flying, you're constantly on a schedule. I think driving a training camp tour is as good a reporting thing as possible. You cannot put a price on just the flexibility when you're at a place like this. Tell me what story have you done this summer or you are doing this summer that you think is really going to contribute or is contributing to football knowledge that okay. people that people should read or or are going to read a week or so down the road. I have a story this week um, about how how much the sport has changed in the first two seconds of a play because what essentially what happened was pass rushers became more advanced, better than ever. Offensive lines weren't improving. So that became an unfair fight. So what happens? Quarterbacks started getting rid of the ball about a half second faster than they had even five, six years ago, okay? And so the entire play, the, the entire season, is defined by which teams can gain an edge in the first two seconds of a play. It used to be three seconds, some cases four seconds, five-step drop, seven-step drop, stuff like that. And so the best teams in the NFL last year, and this is from Pro Football Focus, at getting pressure in the first 2.5 seconds were the Eagles and the Steelers. Well, those are two of the best teams in the NFL. Yeah. And so it's, it's become, I mean, it's almost like, like basketball or something where it's just – it's just as quick as possible. Speed is as important as it's ever been, probably more important. Brandon Graham took two seconds to get to Tom Brady, and that's why we talked for that, that story. That's and cool. so I think, you know, I actually, the, the story's done. I talked to John Dorsey about it yesterday, and he said that was one of the reasons Baker Mayfield was as attractive a, a pick as he was, because he gets it out really quickly. And the phrase he used was, that interplay in the first two seconds has changed the sport. And I think that's – I don't think you can put a um, – I don't think you can put a price tag on, on, on pass rush at this point because if you can get pressure before the quarterback can get rid of the ball, which is as hard as it's ever been, you're going to win a Super Bowl. It's really interesting. I, I'll, I'll, I want to ask you about this one play from last year. I found what was so interesting about the Super Bowl last year is that the Philadelphia Eagles yeah. essentially – scored two touchdowns on that in that game because the New England Patriots had never seen yep. nor could they diagnose in time in those first couple seconds of the play the play that you know first of all there was the Philly special yep. play and then there's the Zach Ertz touchdown yep. play and I asked Doug Peterson why and he goes because New England is the team that whether by reputation or real studies their opponents the best and most thoroughly you know the ernie adams yep. thing and they got other guys on that staff who are really smart but if they've never seen something before ever that a team has done then how are they going to be able to prepare for it and that to me says something one of the questions i'm asking a bunch of people around when i go to camps this year is and i think it's mostly with rpos the run yep. pass option stuff there's not much new under the sun, but you know what? There's always something new yeah. under the sun. And I think the teams that take advantage of that are the teams that win. So you look at, and, and this is something I, I'm hitting on a lot, you look at the Philly special. That's a play that traveled from high school to college to pro in a fairly short time. And I remember talking to Mike Shanahan 
four years ago, something like that. And he was saying, with the rise of technology, YouTube, um, you know, just cell phone video, all of this stuff, what's going to start happening is coaches are going to be able to rip off plays. And he used the term rip off because coaches use terms they like steal. that. Yep. They rip off plays very quickly. And you can, you can not only can you see a play that's run in Clemson, South Carolina on Saturday and install it for the next Sunday, probably not in 24 hours, but the next Sunday, you can just, I mean, you can send the, that play to every player on the team to their iPads within 10 minutes. Yeah. And I don't think you can really overstate how much technology has changed in the game in that regard. I mean, you can, I, I hear stories from offensive coordinators all the time. They'll see a play in a high school game, they'll send it to a quarterback who's on vacation because he's got his iPad and yeah. it's downloaded. Hey, take a That's look at great. this concept. You hear it all the time. And so I, I, you know, the RPO stuff has opened up an entirely new window. I think that there's going to be, you know, there's obviously certain differences. The blocking schemes can't be the same as college, but I think at the pro level, we're going to see a lot more innovation because coaches are a little more, I would use the word shameless about saying, yeah. you know what? Hey, this is a good idea in high school. This is a good idea at Appalachian State. We're just going to take it. And yeah. that didn't exist. One of the legacies, I think, of the Wildcat from 2008, I'm working on a story about that, is it was one of the first times teams looked to college and said, you know what? It works. We're just going to take it. And I think too many people existed in a, a bubble 10, 15 years ago where they weren't using those types of plays. That's a great, great point. Um, I'm going to finish by asking you this very open-ended, bizarre question. I'm really, really, really concerned about the future of journalism. Okay. Not just because of things like the Daily News, New York Daily News cutting sports staff from 34 to 9 or anything, but time after time, year after year, journalism is not making money in enough places to grow and to flourish. So what's your level of concern about real reporting, even in our own little toy department yeah. world? What's your level of concern long term about the reporting in all aspects of life, not just sports, but news? I totally agree. I mean, I'm very concerned about it, especially at the local level, because it seems like all the money is funneling into a couple of different national outlets. And that's all well and good. And, and it's, it's good to have those sort of top investigative reporters being funded to cover national politics. But you worry about city council meetings and you worry about state legislatures, which are the first cuts to go when you're looking at metro departments. And that's what that's what worries me is what is going to happen when there are no local reporters to police certain cities and certain municipalities. That's that's where I think the biggest concern is. I think you're always gonna have enough White House reporters. I think you're always gonna have enough, you know, people covering the, the Senate and from a big national thing because the, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post are doing fine and some of the other outlets are, are doing fine as well. I just, I worry about at the local level paper. I'm from Orlando, the Orlando Sentinel. Are they going to be as, uh, are they going to be the bulldogs they were 10, 15 years ago um, with some of the, uh, some of the, the shadiness that always happens in Florida? Um, that, that's the biggest concern for me. Yeah. Kevin Clark, it's been really fun talking to you. Um, so far, I've seen you now in Buffalo. I've seen you in Cleveland. I'll probably see you in three or four other places down the road. I think you will see me in Indy. I Good. I, I hope so. I hope so. We'll we'll uh, stare at Andrew Luck together like <laughs> like uh, like we 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 can't get enough of that. The line is Josh Allen. We're watching Josh Allen right now. So if he's better or worse than Josh Allen, we'll be able to figure out how the 2018 <laughs> well, season actually, for Andrew actually, is going to go. Actually, now we're watching Nathan Peterman. Oh boy. You know what was interesting? And we'll just finish on this. But interesting in talking to Brandon Bean that 
we came from Cleveland yesterday, and, you know, they're going to play Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. At least early, okay? Now, Brandon Bean basically said, may the best man win. Yep. You know, I mean, we're going to make a judgment. We're trying to win for 2000, uh, 2018. Yep. We're not necessarily looking at 2019. Everybody just looks at it a different way. I don't know if you ran into Tim Couch yesterday. I did. But he was really, really interesting in talking about how, my God, patience, patience. Don't rush these guys into it, you know? Yeah, I, it's, 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 it's fascinating. I think that, you know, I was talking to a coach the other day uh, who was talking about the 08 season where Flacco and Matt Ryan come in and have um, – and have a lot of success in that era. And I think that that, for a lot of coaches, put to bed the idea that every every quarterback needs to sit. But I think everybody's different. And I think everybody has a different learning curve, especially with the spread offenses at the college level. I mean, it's some of these guys have never made NFL reads before. Some of them just kind of count helmets and throw the ball from there. So, well, And not only that, but not only have they not made NFL reads, but they really don't audible yep. in college football. You or know? huddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they look at the sidelines. Everybody gets their assignment on the sidelines, and then they just go and run the play. And that is what, hey, look, that's what took Marcus Mariota such a long yeah. time in yes. Tennessee. You know, he practiced that stuff in training camp in front of a mirror. Taking a snap. Yeah. 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 Anyway, hey, Kevin, great to be with you. Good luck at the ringer. I'll be Thank reading you. you religiously. And uh, all the best. You have a good year. Thanks for having me, Peter. And now my conversation with Fletcher Cox of the Philadelphia Eagles. Back on the Peter King Podcast, I'm joined by uh, Fletcher Cox, the Super Bowl championship defensive lineman with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Fletcher, I'm so curious about what the last six or seven months must have been like for you. You know, a kid who grew up in Mississippi, uh, you go to Mississippi State, you come to Philadelphia where football is such a way of life. And I wonder, what was it like to go home to Mississippi as a Super Bowl champion? I mean, I say the last six months for me is, um, I mean, even after, um, before then, you know, going back home, especially being from a small town in Yazoo City, every time I go home, I always felt welcome. Um, but to actually win a Super Bowl, to be, I think, the second guy to win a Super Bowl there. and uh, Who was the first? Willie Brown. Willie Brown from yeah. Yazoo City. Willie wow. Brown. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Have you met Willie? And oh, plenty of times. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I met Willie Brown, I mean, a lot. I mean, he reached out to me before and after the Super Bowl um, to congratulate me. But, you know, to be the second guy to, to ever do that, you know, in Yazoo City, it, it was special. I mean, they made it special for me when I come back. Uh, we had, a, you know, a big parade, um, you know, big, like, get-together with the city, come out and just enjoy the time. And, you know, it's been special for me. Yeah. So you have established yourself – um, you know, clearly is one of the best, I think, like versatile defensive linemen in football. You know, it's you can be impactful in the interior, you know, what, whatever your role would be, stopping the run, being a three technique, or on the outside. And I wonder, I thought it was really interesting how the Patriots attacked you in the Super Bowl, you know, because they were not going to let Fletcher Cox beat them in this game. Take me back to that day and how the Patriots played you and how you tried to get off blocks and play against them. Well, just going into that, that whole week, uh, um, I, I kind of thought, you know, back in the backside of my head, I said, I mean, I figured they'd come out and have two sets of hands on me at all times. So just doing it during the week um, of preparing for, um, I just, you know, went through practice and 
um, coach made it hard for me um, and just kind of prepared me for it. And, you know, that was their whole thing. They were going to have two sets of hands on me at all times, not going to let me just, you know, just have one-on-ones and just just be myself. But, uh, I mean, I got that during the season sometimes, and, you know, I was really prepared for it. And, uh, I mean, that gave other guys like Brandon, Chris, and Derek, and Timmy, you know, a chance to go out and, and be dominant and to enjoy those one-on-ones. Yeah. Were you – What's looking back now? What surprised you about that Super Bowl? You know, maybe your offense scoring in the forties, maybe going head to head with Brady, him winning some, you guys winning some. When you look back at that Super Bowl, what do you think about the way you played and about the way your how your offense played? I mean, I think as um, as a team, I think um, it went back and forth. Um, but just going out and seeing our offense score forty points um, in a Super Bowl, which you know you got the two best teams in the you know in the whole country, uh, you know playing at that time, and for us to go out and score forty points, um, our offense did a great job. Uh, and you know, just going back and forth with Brady, you know, you don't want to go too back and forth with him because you know he's been around for so long, and you know he's seen that you know so many times. But I think uh, our defense as a whole and as a group, um, you know, stepped up at the end of the at the end of the game and kind of calmed down and realized that we've been in this position before. We just need to get the one stopped and give our offense the ball back. Do you view uh, this as sort of when the time was important in the game? Your, I mean, your defense gave up a bunch of yards in that game, but when time came to make a big play, you made a play that was significant for your defense? Absolutely. I think uh, we at, at some at right at right um before that, that play happened with Brandon, uh, we were all just the force fumble the off force Brady, fumble yeah. with with with, Brand, uh, with Brandon Graham. Uh before that play happened, um coach Coach Wilson actually said, I'm not gonna change nothing. We just gotta do what we're doing better. And he said it's gonna come down to the D line, going out, you know, being consistent and getting the ball out. Uh, and, you know, it comes again. They had two sets of hands on me. Brandon had the one-on-one, and we always talk about winning one-on-ones in that room, and you know, he got the job done. Yeah. Um, with Fletcher Cox of the Eagles. Fletcher, your game has really kind of progressed over the last few years, and I wonder now as you look at sort of your goals and what you want to be as a player now, h- how much have you – uh, thought of in the off season goals so that you can be better in 2018 than you were in 17. I mean, the the biggest thing. I mean, we all as as players um, in the NFL have individual goals, and you know, my my my, my individual goal. I put it out earlier this spring. I want to work, you know, being towards you know, um, uh, MB, defensive MVP. But at the same time, I still have to focus on being a better, being a great, being a good teammate, being a good leader because. It's not about me. You know, I got 10 other guys that I'm on the field with, and, uh, I mean, that's what what it's really about. If you're Defensive Player of the Year, that means even if J.J. Watt doesn't come back to what he was, you know, it means that you've got Aaron Donald out there, and Aaron Donald is sort of, you know, he's been the last year or so sort of the gold standard. So, uh, do you kind of root for Aaron Donald to have a holdout hey, so he doesn't play all 16 games? Aaron is my Aaron is my man. You know, yeah. I talk to Aaron, you know, here and there, and uh, I mean, he's one of the, you know great players. He's one of those dominant D tackles that's in the league. And do you watch him much? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think people try to compare me and Aaron, but we're two totally different type of players. Uh, I mean, he's 
you know, he's I'm more of a power guy, quickness guy. He just do, you know, he can just get in and out of things just um and you know, I of course I go and, you know, see a lot of things what what that he do that I can, you know, steal from and learn. Um but that's just part of, you know, um just progressing my game. Do you think that he watches you? I'm pretty well? sure he do. I mean, you, you you go ask a lot of D tackles, you know, do they, you know, go out and watch other D tackles and I'm pretty sure they'll tell you yeah. Yeah. What is it about his game when you watch him that you say that makes this guy hard to stop? Give me a little scouting report on Aaron Donald. I mean, most of the times I, when I when I when I do watch him, I watch the way he finished, and that's why that's why I told myself that I needed to do a better job at, at explain at that exactly. Um, just say last year a couple times where I was going after the hit on the quarterback instead of trying to get the ball out, where I can have cause a turnover, but I get the hit on the quarterback, but he still complete the ball. And that just goes down as a hit, whether I, you know, when it could have been a strip sack. You know, those are things that he do that I need to work on and, and, and finish on. How much do you guys as players – I was in Baltimore the other day, and I was talking to a bunch of their guys, their, their linemen, and I said, you know, 10 or 12 years ago, there wasn't really a great focus on – the exact way that offensive and defensive linemen play, but then pro football focus comes into comes into play, and a lot of people now look at that as sort of stats for offensive and defensive linemen. Do you look at the pro football focus stuff, and do you think it's accurate? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you that I don't look at it because <laughs> when I stroll through Twitter and people are uh, tagging me in, of course you're going to say, oh, well, you know, I'm kind of ranked here, I'm kind of ranked there. So, I mean, yeah, I do look at it. Uh, and, I mean, I think, you know, anybody would I mean, probably be telling a tale if they told you that they didn't, they didn't look at it and saw their name on there. How accurate do you think it is? I think it's pretty accurate. You mm-hmm. know, I think you got, you know, guys that's been around for a long time and, well, that's been around for a while and get out and, and grade these, you know, game tape uh, and – I mean, I think it's pretty close to, to, you know, to what the team have. Yeah. Let me ask you a little bit now about your team, okay? I come to training camp. I'm here one day, so I don't know your team, okay? But the one thing I do think when I talk to your guys, talk to Doug Peterson, watch practice, you don't – it doesn't seem – that there's much like controversy, many big stories, nobody's holding out, nobody is, seems to be ticked off. I mean, this is a pretty peaceful Super Bowl winning team. Do you, do you think that's correct? Absolutely, and I think it started with Doug. Um, I think it all, it all starts upstairs because, you know, he keep us at peace. Um, you know, he give us – he let us be um, – he let the the leaders lead that locker room. He let us run that locker room, and you know when we if we mess that up, and that's mean he having to step in, and then things will probably be totally different. And I think that's why the guys in that locker room. That's why they bring those type of guys in. You know, great guys with good character. You know, to to do that that way, the coaches don't have to step in and you know kind of police everything. Yeah. What you guys think if if anything when Ben McAdoo came out and said, I think the Eagles are going to have trouble handling success. I mean, I really don't even think he's coaching now. So um, I think our focus right now is to just worry about um, worry about us as a team getting better and worry about us um, getting ready for, for week one for Atlanta. Yeah. Last two things. When you look at the difficulty of teams winning Super Bowls two years in a row, you know, this is the 53rd year of Super Bowls and uh, of, you know, since the Super Bowl. It's only happened eight times that the teams have won two in a row. 
So as you look at it, you have much of a gut feeling about what position you guys are in and whether you're in good position to try to do this. I mean, I think we're in a good position. Um, I think the main thing is right now is to, to get our key guys healthy. Um, I think we, we went on last year with a, without a bunch of our key guys, and, you know, we had guys step in. And I think um, those guys that were out like Darren, Jordan, um, Carson, and, and Jason, and Christian Marigold that's out and that's, you know, recovering from, you know, major surgeries, I think that it makes them that more much um, more hungry um, to go out and, and, and be a part of um, what we did last year. I wonder – uh, you add Michael Bennett to your defensive line. And I wonder, what has it been like being around him, and what do you think he'll add to what you guys do? I mean, bringing Mike in is um, <clears throat> was a great thing for us because, you know, they like to keep that room, you know, you know, pretty stacked with guys that can rush the quarterback. And I think that's what this league is, is really about, guys that can get after the quarterback. And, you know, and bringing Mike in was special. Um, you know, he brings a – he's, number one, he's funny, but at the same time he goes out on the field and work. And, you know, he's willing to go out and, and stay, you know, you know, after practice or come out there early to – to kind of get on the same page that we're on. I mean, me and him talked about, you know, I want to learn how you rush, I want to learn how he rush, and that way we can play off of each other. And that's the type of the chemistry that we need. He's one of these guys who's played, had so many different roles in the NFL. You know, he's been outside, he's been inside, he's stood up, he's, you know, he he's such an interesting and diverse player, you know, who's done so many things. I would think, you know, if, 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 if I'm looking at him in your room, you're saying this guy is like a baseball player who can play six positions. Yeah, I mean, we were um, we were in practice the other day, and I was like, well, you want me to get the nose position? He's like, no, nah, I got it. I was like, you sure? <laughs> you know, and I was like, well, all right, then, you know, because, you know, normally guys guys that play DN really don't, you know, things happen so fast inside for them. Um, and Brandon Graham can tell you that, that when he first started doing that, it happened so fast in there that, you know, you kind of got to be up to speed on him. But I was really surprised when he said he wanted to go hit up over the center. So um, they let you know that he's been th- there and done that. I think that's one of the reasons why the Seahawks really, really liked him for a long time because he said, hey, listen, play me where you need me, you know. And you know that a guy his size, he plays over the nose. He's not going to get sacks. If he plays there a lot, right? You know, and and he and but the Seahawks really valued that because he was a really unselfish player for them. Yeah, I mean he can. Yeah. I mean he's outside, he's inside. He at the nose position, and you know that, that's the type of stuff that I like. You know, I like to be around with guys that just not just stuck on one position. Yeah. Um, when you can shift Michael down and shift Brandon Graham down. Fletcher Cox of the Philadelphia Eagles have a great, great year. Appreciate you joining me on the podcast. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks to my guests, Joe Hayden, Fletcher Cox, and an excellent writer, Kevin Clark of The Ringer. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of my podcast series, such as my conversations with John Elway, Chris Mortensen, and Adam Schefter. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the Peter King Podcast on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And thanks, of course, to my sponsor this week, Quicken Loans. Please support Quicken Loans the way they support this podcast. And I'll see you next week 
I'm back now through the end of the season. Every week, a new episode will drop on Wednesdays.